Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning, Life in the Sun. Good to see you. Glad that you're here. I'm Mark Beneventi. And a special welcome to our online guests that are joining us today. Uh, You are the silver lining, one of them, silver linings, in this quarantine you know, and evidence that God causes all things to work together for good. One of the results of the quarantine is that we switch to an online format. And not just Life in the Sun, but I think churches around the globe began to occupy new online territory, and I think it's here to stay. And that's a good thing. So welcome. We're glad that you're here. And if you're like me, because of more online presence, there's a lot of messengers out there with different kinds of messages. Um, I've heard some messengers say, we are on the brink of the greatest revival the world has ever known. And then I watch another video, and he says, God is about to judge America and the world. And you're like, whoa, which is it? (laughs) Our ministry president, Steve Merle, said, if you're not confused, you're not paying attention. (laughs) And so... There's these different perspectives, and how do we resolve that? I really appreciated one of the leadership groups, uh, some of the prophetic mentors, where we've been discussing these different perspectives that are circulating on the internet. And one thing I really appreciate about the group is we're all in this mode of learning. It's not like we come with these fixed perspectives, you know, with, with some particular angle to hold on to, but we're sharing ideas, we're growing. Even if our thoughts are not fully developed, it's a safe place to be able to process. And as we process, you know, we're becoming aware of different perspectives. One of them, just speaking generally, uh, is the idea of hypergrace. Hypergrace is the idea that it's all good. Doesn't matter what you did, doesn't matter what you will do, Jesus paid it all. And so no need to fixate on sin and confession and repentance because Jesus forgives us. It's all good. And even if anything does happen really wild in the world, God's going to rapture us. We're not going to be here anyway, so relax. Enjoy your salvation. The other extreme is hellfire and brimstone. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you get the idea. One side is very lenient, very soft. The other side is very hard and judgy, and God is displeased with us, and there will be consequences. And so which one is it? Which one of these describes maybe a biblical view or a better balanced view? Which of these describes the way you feel God interacts with you? Which of these describes the way you feel God interacts with the world? Is he approachable and listens? Does he care? Does he care about you? Or is he distant and uninvolved? It's a complicated issue. Because we don't know how much of our perception is influenced by our limited experience. I mean, we don't know what we don't know, right? And so how much is my perception, how much is my perception of God that's influenced by my upbringing? How much of my perception of reality is influenced by my parents? How much is influenced by maybe a negative experience I had and I interpreted that as true all the time. Questions, 
questions, questions. How much is based on the word of God? How much of my perception is based on God's word? How much is based on my interpretation of God's word? Lots of questions. How can we really know God's heart? And the real test is when you're going through a difficult time. In that difficult moment, in that struggle, what are the thoughts and the feelings about God that begin to surface? That's the real test. Earlier in the first service, there was a family here, the Quinkle family. Many of you recall, we prayed for them last week. They were in a bad car accident. Later that day, I had the opportunity to visit with them. I was really impressed with their heart and their response. They said, we are not going to let the enemy discourage us because of what has happened. We declare that God is still good no matter what happens. I was like, wow. And today they were in church worshiping, healing and worshiping. The real test is when we're going through a difficult time. And in that moment, what kinds of thoughts and feelings begin to surface about God? There's only one person whose mind did not need to be renewed. There's only one person who was fully awake. But for the rest of us, we need the word of God to reveal what we do not know. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, turn the eyes of our heart toward you, and ask you to teach. Lord, you're the counselor. You're the revealer. Lord, only you can impart truth that is life-changing. And so, God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word and by your spirit. Lord, through your people. And by whatever means you choose, God, we ask you to give us knowledge and understanding and wisdom about you and your kingdom and your ways. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture today is found in Romans chapter 4. We'll be reading the entire chapter, beginning in verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that's not God's way. For the scripture tells us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So let's just stop here, these first three verses. Let's just camp here for a moment. If I could paraphrase, Paul is saying that Abraham was made right with God because he believed God and because he trusted God. We can get into the details of what God said and what that looked like for Abraham, but for now, let's just focus on Paul's main point. And the main point is this, Abraham believed and trusted God. And because he did that, God said, you and I have a right relationship. That's the message. Everything else in Romans chapter 4 is simply explaining and illustrating this one point. This one point is that Abraham believed and trusted God. And because he believed and trusted, God said, you and I have a right relationship. That's it. Very simple. And that's all, if that's all that you remember out of today's message, you got it. Abraham believed and trusted God, therefore God said, you and I have a right relationship. How many of you would like to know that you and God are good? How many of you would like to know that you actually have a right relationship with God? You know, years ago, 
I watched a movie, I think it was back in the 1980s, called Crocodile Dundee. Anybody seen that movie? So um, it was kind of an action comedy. And uh, in, in this story, there's a reporter from New York. And she's intrigued with this Caucasian man who grew up in Australia, but he was raised by Aborigines. And she was, she was curious about his spirituality. And she asked him, do you believe in God? And he said, me and God, we'd be mates. And it was nice that Mick Dundee thought of God this way and it left a good feeling that God and Mick are easygoing. But how do we really know? This is the whole point of Romans chapter 4. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because he trusted him, because of his faith. When Paul says, for the scriptures tell us, he's actually referring to a direct quote from Genesis 15, beginning in verse 5. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, look up, look up into the sky and count the stars, if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. How would you respond if you knew that the Lord said to you, look up at the sky? That's how many descendants you will have. How would you respond? What would you think? Now, you might say, well, I, I don't know. That's conceivably possible. I mean, after all, there's six billion plus people on the planet. We know about exponential growth. So, yeah, I guess I could imagine that possibly being the future. If that's the case, what makes Abraham's faith so extraordinary? Context is everything. Context is everything. Do you know how old Abraham was when God said, look up at the stars? He was 75 years old. More importantly, do you know how old his wife was? Scripture doesn't say exactly, but it does make it very clear that she was beyond the age of bearing children. In fact, Sarah never had children. They'd been married 75 years, and she never had children. Now she's beyond the age of bearing children, and God says, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. That's what makes Abraham's faith so extraordinary. And if you want to add on top of that, do you know how long he had to wait before his son Isaac was born? He waited 25 years. You know, some of us, we get a sense of maybe something God is leading us to do, something he's promising, something he's spoken to us, and then a year goes by, and two years go by, and three years go by, and then we're like, I don't, I don't know, I guess it's not happening. Abraham waited 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. By the time Isaac was born, he was 100 years old. How many couples do you know in their hundreds who had children? I mean, we hardly know some of them who are even alive. <laughs> That's what makes Abraham's faith so extraordinary. This was his situation when he believed what God said. And then the rest of this chapter explains and illustrates why believing in and trusting in someone, and in this case, God, why believing in and trusting in someone is the foundation of any relationship. So let's pick up in verse 4. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they earned. But people who are counted as righteous, not, be, 
People are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven and whose sins are put out of sight. Verse 8, yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews? Or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. There's a lot of talk here about circumcision. And we need to back up a little bit to understand what that's referencing. When God said, look up at the stars, and he said, your descendants will be as numerous, he also said, you and I are going to have a sign. We're going to have like a contract called, in the Bible, it's called a covenant. A covenant is different from a contract. A, con a contract is between two peers. But a covenant is from a higher to a lesser. And it cannot be altered. It can only be accepted or rejected. And God presents this covenant to Abraham and says, if you will believe me, if you will trust me, this is what I will do for you. Your, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And the signing of the contract will be this. You are to circumcise every male born into your household on the eighth day. And if you think about today's contracts, you're like, what, are you, what kind of signature is that? And um, what happened 2,000 years later, science discovers that actually it wasn't this weird thing, but actually very practical. In order for Abraham to have descendants as numerous as the stars, there has to be a healthy fertility rate. And there are some countries where their population is actually declining. Because in order for your population to grow, you have to have at least three children or more. If you only have two, you're only replacing yourself. And if you only have one, the population is declining. And there are some countries where the population is declining. And sometimes it's not just because of choice. Sometimes it's because of health conditions. And they have found that there are three groups in the world that have significantly less incidence of uterine cancer. And those three groups are Christians, Jews, and Muslims. And the one thing those three groups have in common is they all practice circumcision. It, in old school medicine, it was thought that circumcision was for the health of the male. But more recent studies indicate it's actually for the health of the female. Because those three groups have significantly less incidence of uterine cancer. And so other people groups where there's uterine cancer and infertility don't have population growth. 
And so when God made this covenant, this sign for the covenant, it wasn't this weird thing. It was actually very practical. And science catches up with God's reasoning 2,000 years later. Because some people didn't know what they were doing, the Jews, that is, they didn't know what they were doing when they were practicing circumcision. They didn't know why. They didn't understand the reasons and the science behind it. It became a religious thing. It became like a sacrament. It became something that you did to be Jewish. It was something that you did to say you were in agreement with God and the promise to Abraham. But they didn't understand why. And so by the time Jesus enters the scene, people think that this is something you have to do to be religious. This is something you have to do to be spiritual. But Paul goes back and says, no. Before any of that was ever in place, Abraham believed God and trusted him, and that was the reason that he was counted as right with God. Paul says the same thing in verse 13. Verse 13. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law. In other words, it's not what he does. It's based on what God does, on a right relationship with God that comes by faith, trusting in what God says. If, God promise, if God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith isn't necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it, because none of us are perfect, and the consequence, the result of sin, is death. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. And so the promise is received by faith, by trusting and believing. It's, it is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. In other words, whether or not we are good enough because none of us actually are good enough. If we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. And this happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept on hoping believe that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you'll have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and Sarah's womb as well. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. That's all 25 verses of Romans chapter 4. In the beginning, as we began to look at this chapter, I mentioned how Abraham, trusting God, how this was exceptional because he was very old. And Sarah, too, was too old to have children. In fact, she never had children, and yet Abraham still believed, still trusted. That was amazing. 
you know, sometimes we read about these biblical heroes in the Bible, and maybe it's a little difficult for us to relate. But did you know that your faith today is just as amazing as Abraham's? It takes just as much faith to believe that God came down to earth in the form of a man, took your place to die for your sins so that you could be forgiven. That's an amazing thought. Sometimes we hear that so much in church, we become inoculated. It's almost as if it loses its edge. But if you can think back to the moment you first understood that and the moment you first trusted what God said, what an amazing experience that was to come into this relationship with God and to be forgiven. When you think about it, that's amazing. What's even more amazing is that God says, because you believe that, because you trust what he did, God says, you have a right relationship with him. You have a right relationship with him, and it's all based on trust. Trust is the foundation of all relationships, especially with God. And so, as we wrap up, the question is this. What is God inviting you to trust him for? What's he inviting you to trust him for? Now, I took some time to carefully craft this question. Notice how in this question, the invitation comes from God. Sometimes we give God our prayer requests, and we say, God, this is what I'm trusting you to do. You know, that's kind of like me and my wife in the early years of our marriage. We used to surprise each other with gifts. And she would give me a gift, and I would give her a gift. And we noticed a pattern after a while. The gifts I would give her, actually, they were something that I wanted. And the gifts that she would give me was actually something that she wanted. And we thought, you know what? There's something not right here. <laughs> you know, we don't do that so much anymore, but that's kind of like our relationship with God. Sometimes you say, God, here's my wish list. I'm trusting you. That's not an invitation from God. That's an invitation from us. As we mature spiritually and we get to know God, it becomes more about telling him what we want and more about listening to what God is saying and then trusting what God has said. Having made this distinction, what is God inviting you to trust him for? What is the last thing you sensed God was leading you to trust him for? As you believe and as you trust, this is pleasing to him. And God counts your trust as righteousness, as having a right relationship with him. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Amen? Let's pray. As you bow your heads, I'd like us to really consider this question. What is the last thing you recall the Lord said to you? It could have been from your Bible reading or whatever means he chose to use. But what is the last thing you recall the Lord said to you? And whatever it is that he showed you, this is your invitation to trust him. Our Father, we stand before you. You know our hearts, you know us. Lord, fully aware of what we think, how we feel, 
and our circumstances. And you come to us in this world to meet us where we're at, to speak to us, to guide us into the next step in the journey of your kingdom. Lord, what an amazing, what an amazing experience. And Lord, we want more. We want to experience you more. And so Lord, help us to take that next step, whatever it is that you have been revealing. And help us to believe you and to trust you. Lord, you're the one that puts your desires within us and then gives us the ability to carry them out. It's by your spirit, not by our might, not by our effort, not by what we do, but by what you have said. And you said you will complete the good work that you began in us. And so, Father, by trust and by belief, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We come to you and say, God, we want to trust. And if you're thinking right now, maybe there's something that you recognize God has been speaking to you about. He's inviting you to trust him. If there's something in your mind or in your heart that is surfacing, that's percolating to the top, I want to give you a, a moment just to do business with God and respond to him about whatever that is that he's inviting you to trust him for. Whatever he's inviting you to trust him about. And so as the music is playing, just go ahead and take some time alone with God. And just respond to his invitation. I encourage you to respond by faith. Lord, you see every heart, every mind, every circumstance, every soul that is here today how we're interacting with you. And Lord, I pray for your grace, for your anointing, for your hand, just all across the room, and even online to people who are watching and you're speaking to their heart. And Lord, we trust you to be at work and to complete what you began, to enable your people to trust you, to believe you, to walk with you, and to honor you. And if you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'd like to address another group who may be here today. There may be some of you as you're listening to me talk about a relationship with God. This is something that God has been getting your attention about recently. Maybe you sense that something's been missing and you're realizing that maybe it's my relationship with God. And as a result, you've been searching in fact, that has a lot to do with why you're here today. And if that describes you, and you've never actually made a conscious choice or a formal decision to invite God into your life, I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that. Most importantly, it's what you really want. And then second is just to express that to God, which is what we call prayer. And so in a moment, I'll pray out loud. You can pray along. God will hear you. But before I pray, I'd like to know who I'm praying with, and I have a signal for that, which is if you would simply look up when my eyes meet yours, I'll know that we're going to pray together. And so if this is something that you would like to do, go ahead and look up at this time, and then we'll pray together in a moment. Don't want to miss anybody. 
Okay, no hands raised. We're just going to close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for making it clear. Thank you for showing us the way to be with you. Lord, the ways that you've been speaking to our hearts here today, we ask that you would solidify, that you would seal, and that you would empower and enable us uh, not to go out from your presence here, but to go out with your presence as we go home or go to work or wherever we go. Lord, I ask that you would enable us to trust and to believe the things that you have shown. And we commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday. Have a great week.